0: of heights to the depths of the sea.
1: And so and so it, it seems that this stick is uh, not the same, uh, it's a different word. So therefore he said, "Pick it up for yourself." And so he took out his hand and he picked it up and no doubt a miracle. You know, this the axe head would float just like the twig or whatever that Elisha had thrown into the water. Every creature is you need
0: Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. The man who lost the axe head was rightly sensitive to the fact that he lost something that belonged to someone else, making the loss more crucial. So Elisha cut off a stick and threw the stick in the water, and he made the iron float. This was an obvious and unique miracle. There was no trickery in the way that Elisha put the stick in the water. It was simply an expression of his faith that God honored. As followers of Jesus Christ, our faith is in God's use of another piece of wood, the cross, where Jesus redeemed us from our sins. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1.
1: Let's open our Bibles this evening to Second Kings, we're going to look at the 6th chapter, and uh, we may get through just the first 23 verses, I think that's a, a good place for us to stop uh, thematically, of, so let's um, take a look at it. Remember this section of the scripture is the ministry of Elisha, the, um, the successor of Elijah, the prophet, and Elisha was there when Elijah ascended to heaven. And remember that that, uh, Elisha wanted the the benefit, the blessing of receiving a double portion of Elijah's blessing, and Elijah said, well, if you're there when the Lord takes me away in that chariot of fire, then it will be uh, done to you. And so uh, he was there when that happened. And, uh, and as we look through the scriptures, especially the, the area that we're in tonight, we will see that God does bring that to pass. It's recorded for us at least, uh, uh, at least more than um, half or, or, or almost double uh, the number of things that God done had done through the life of Elisha, and, and that's still unfolding before us. But uh, the Lord honors his word, doesn't he? He honors his word. He can never return back on it because, remember, God knows all things. So if he does know all things, like the Bible tells us, then he can't be hoodwinked. He can't, be, he can't get the facts wrong because he He knows the very things that we're going to speak. Psalm 139 is one of my favorite psalms because it speaks about God's omnipresence and also his omniscience. The fact that he is all way, all, everywhere at the same time. And he also knows all things. He can't learn anything because he knows all things. And I love the, the frightful thing that David says in Psalm 139. He says, Lord, you know my thoughts afar off. Before I even speak, you know them all together. And, and see, that's the God we serve. We don't serve an impotent God who, who doesn't understand, who doesn't see things in advance. No, he sees everything plain before him and that's why he can write the word of God and he can record for it and get this God could have just recorded this with his own hand in a sense and said I don't want man to touch this at all I don't want to be any human element or agent involved in my word my communication to my creation to the people that I love that I've created I'm going to do it all myself because there's too much liability involved I can agree with that, (laughs) because as soon as I open my mouth, I'm a liability, and I understand that, but God's word will not return void. It will always accomplish what he purposes, and he even uses imperfect vessels like me and like you, and that's just a mystery to me that I'll never chase. I'll never run after that and try and figure it out, because that's just the way it is. But such is the nature of God. He's a loving God and he wants us to be involved in, in all of this. And that's why he asks us to pray for things that he's going to do. And yet, the scary thing also is, is that if we don't pray, sometimes those things don't come to pass. And that's an even scarier thing. And that, re, that reminds me of my responsibility, my great joy, my great uh, pleasure to enter into prayer And to pray for those things that are on God's heart, to discern his heart, and then to pray for the things that are on God's heart. So important for us to do, especially today, now more than ever, ever before in our history, in the church, and in our country now, church, this is our time to shine. It really is. I believe that. I think we've come to such a time as this, and what will the church of God do? And that's a question I'll leave with you to ponder. But let's look at the first seven verses, and we're going to take this in chunks because I think thematically you'll understand why we're doing that. Let's just look at the first seven verses, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. Notice what it says. It says, And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and let every man take a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. And so he answered, and he said, Go. And then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And so the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. And so he cut off a stick and he threw it in there and he made the iron float. Therefore he said pick it up for yourself and so he reached out his hand and he took it you know as as we read passages like this it's really interesting isn't it we think of what a uh, it just defies all gravity it defies logic it defies even the physics that god has ordained the the very laws of nature that god has set in place God himself can, de- can defy those things if he so chooses. And honestly, he's the only one who can. I-, I cannot do that unless he causes me to. He did it with Moses, didn't he? He says, Moses, as they were hemmed in there at the, in the desert, and the mountains are all around them, and they've got this passageway, and all that's before him is the Red Sea. And he, and, he, and he says to Moses, Moses, stop looking around. Put out your rod and stand there and put out the, the rod, and I will part the sea. And he did, (laughs) defying the laws of gravity and physics. It's not possible, except for God. Now, do you believe that? I believe that. Why? Because God has never failed me, and God has never gone back on his word, he's always been faithful. And so when we read something like this, you know, the, the liberal scholars like to dismiss it and try to, you know, finagle away that somehow through science that, you know, this happened or maybe it really wasn't a twig, maybe he threw in something, maybe there's lead in it and, you know, who knows, you know, the, the things somehow magnetically attracted to the something. I, you know, there's all kinds of excuses that people may give. But see, I believe, and I, I serve a big God, I don't serve this little God. And unfortunately, in the church in America, our God is often this God, who's just this little, measly little guy that when we are in trouble, we come and we, we rub the lamp and we're like, Lord, show, help us, I'm in so much trouble. And you know, you're, you're rubbing the lamp trying to get him to do something like a, a, like a rabbit's foot or a, a talisman. And God says, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be the one that you run to when you're in trouble. Yes, you can run to God. And you know what? We should. But don't think God is just going to bail us out. And often he does in his grace, and I'm so glad for that. But we need to remember who he is. He is almighty God. He is bigger than the heavens. The heavens can't contain him. And that's the God I serve. One who can speak and things come into existence when there was no matter to even begin. Can you imagine that? That would be like standing here and God creating a cheeseburger, a double cheeseburger with provolone cheese, or no, cheddar, let's make it cheddar, and a lettuce and tomato, nice and juicy and thick patties. Right Right here, right now, my way, right away. Right, And God's going, well, I could do that, but I'm not going to. What's the purpose, Rob, so you can get fat? When God does things, he does them for a reason. He does, thing, he does miracles not to impress anybody. He does miracles to help, to bless, to show his glory. At times when he chooses, it's, it's at his bidding, not mine. And so notice the sons of the prophets. Remember, Elisha had a school of prophets in different towns throughout Israel and we believe that the place where he was at here was probably in Jericho, because the sons of the prophets said, You know, we're living here and we're dwelling with you, but now we're getting so numerous that this place is too small. And so please let us go to the Jordan and take every man a beam from there. Now, Jericho, if you've been to Israel with us, you know Jericho is right along the, the mountainside. It's it's literally right there uh, before you ascend through the mountains, there's a road that goes all the way up to Mount Zion. But right Right over here, there's a mountain range, and right over here in the Jordan Valley, right next to the mountain, is Jericho. And and then the the Jordan River runs right through here in the Jordan Plain. So it's very easy for them just to walk across this plain for a couple miles and get right to the Jordan River. And they go there, why? Because there's trees there. Why? Because there's water there. All along the the river, there's trees. Very naturally, because that's where the trees will get their water from. And the biggest, strongest trees are going to be where the water is. And you know, I think of myself as one of those trees. You know, I want to be next to the water. And the water is like the word of God, isn't it? It's, it's, it's our nutrient. It's the thing that we need more than anything. More than You can go without food for 30 or 40 days, but you can't go without water that long unless God does something in you. Water is what we need every single day, and the water of the word of God, it cleanses us, it it nourishes us, it gives us everything we need. So important for us to stay. But notice, let us go to the Jordan, let every man take a beam from there. I'd have you underline the word beam because um, it's important that you do, and I'll explain why in a few minutes. Every man will take a beam from there and let us make a place there, notice, where we may dwell. So now they, they were in Jericho, now they're going to build this place right by the Jordan River. What a great place to do it. And this word beam literally means a rafter. It, it means a, a beam, like a big beam of wood. And it's important that we understand that because that's how you build things is with, not with twigs, but with big beams, rafters. That's really the meaning of it. So um, notice in verse 3, it says, So then one said to him, please consent to go with your servants. And, And I love this. They wanted to be with their master. They wanted to be with the one who is walking close to God. Do you have somebody that is close to you? that loves the Lord with all of their heart? Are, are you, do you spend time with them? Or what company do you keep? You know, these men loved Elisha so much. And what was it about Elisha that attracted them? It was his godliness. It was his relationship with God. It was what made him such a wonderful human being. And see, that's what the world needs to see in each of us. People that are just sold out for Christ and loving him, and willing to do anything for him. And you become beautiful. The more we walk like Christ, the more we submit to him, the more we're obedient to him, the more we allow him to work in and through our lives, our lives become something beautiful. Because I don't know about you, but before I came to Christ, my life was a mess. I wasn't beautiful at all. There was nothing about me. In fact, you look up you know, dunce in the dictionary, and there'd be a picture of me. But Christ, in him, he makes all things beautiful. And he's made all of you beautiful. You know, as I look out and I see all of you, he's made every one of you. Sorry, guys, I don't mean to make you feel weird, but don't worry, I'm not weird. But, uh, you know, we're all beautiful in his sight, right? We're all beautiful, So they said please consent to go with your servants and so he says okay I'll go so we went with them and when they came to the Jordan they cut down trees but as they were cutting down the tree the iron axe fell into the water and the young man cried alas master it was borrowed I borrowed this from my neighbor and and just like any Bible student they were poor. <laughs> they didn't have any money. They couldn't go down to Home Depot and buy a, you know, one of those nice awls that have like the, you know, the the wedge where you can, you know, cut wood. And you can also break things apart. It was, you know, they didn't have any money, and so it was a bigger deal to lose something like that. And in Exodus chapter 22, verse 14, it says this, And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor, and and of course it's speaking here about livestock, but the idea is any possession, and it becomes injured or it dies, the owner of it, not being with it, he shall surely make it good. And so he knows that if he loses this axe head, he's got to replace it. I remember uh, a neighbor behind me, a really wonderful fellow, I was rototilling a garden in the back of our house, and he had this old rototiller. Have, anybody, any guy used a rototiller before? They're beasts. You feel like you're strapping yourself onto a bowl because you put that thing on and you're, you're holding it back. It's like, a, it's like a Tyrannosaurus Rex going forward. and you're, you're harnessing it, you're trying to hold it down, and your arms are hurting. It's very painful. Don't do it. But in this instance I was using it and the belt broke on the on the machine. And so I could have just given it back to my neighbor and said, you know, sorry, I'm gonna, I'm not going to do this anymore and then he doesn't use it for a while and then he finds out that the belt is broke. But you know, I just like this says, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to do I love my neighbor. He's a great Christian man. I love him, respect him. So what do I do? I get a belt. And I'm not a mechanic, so I take the cover off and it looks like just one little bolt. I I loosen the bolt, the little thing goes down like this. I put a new one on, I put it back up, I tighten it back up and it worked. And I'm like, I was like, thanks God, I I don't know how I did this. But he, he allowed me to do it. But you know, it was his responsibility to fix this problem, right? So the man of God said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut down a stick. Underline that word because that's a different word from beam in verse 2. Very different. This literally means a piece of wood, but the idea is something much smaller than the beam that they were cutting out for the rafters. You, You got me, right? You understand, and so and so it, it seems that this stick is uh, not the same. Uh, it's a different word. So therefore, he said, "Pick it up for yourself." And so he took out his hand and he picked it up. And no doubt, a miracle. You know, this the axe head would float just like the twig or whatever that Elisha had thrown into the water. You know, and some have tried again to explain this away by um, implying some kind of other scientific means, but. You know this, right? Uh, if you throw something in water, especially if it's a small body of water, if you throw something into the water, what happens? Does the water lessen or does it go up? It goes up because you're displacing the water, right? You've learned that in science class. And You take a, a glass full of water and you put a bunch of rocks in it. The water level goes up because it's displacing the water, And so, if anything, this was actually going to make it harder. And, of course, we're talking about the Jordan River, so whatever he threw in, regardless of how big the branch was, it's not going to really measure very much. But that wasn't the point. He throws it in, and the reverse of the laws of nature occur. Those things are heavy, several pounds in weight. Are they going to just rise to the surface? But he defied nature. You know, it's like Elijah when he was facing off with the 450 prophets of Baal. What did he do? He defied nature. He took water seven times and doused the altar seven times. He let the, the, the Baal worshippers just light, you know, have their thing and, and, and not douse it with water. But Elijah said, no, if God's going to do this, it doesn't matter how much water you put on this thing. You could dump the Indian Ocean on this, and it's going to light up when God strikes it. And sure enough, he does. So Elijah wasn't even worried. He says, you know, I don't know, just put a flame retardant on it. Take some of that powder that they spray over California wildfires. Spread it all over the thing. Just pepper it. See what happens. <laughs> but it defies the laws of nature because God created those laws, and he's able to defy them at his will. In Exodus chapter 15, you don't have to go there, but I'd like to read something to you because... I want to just develop this theme a little bit with this wood, because I think there's something here for us, and it's something that I think you'll see, hopefully. So in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness, found no water. So when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of the place is called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and he tested them. And uh, although we have to be careful about spiritualizing Scripture, I'd like to take a little liberty with this. Because as we looked at what we just read in Exodus, and as we saw what Elisha did with the wood, throwing it in the water. Because here's, you know, with Moses taking the wood and throwing it into a bitter water. Here we have a, a man's calamity happening, and wood is applied to this calamity, and it brings deliverance. And uh, I think you kind of probably know where I'm going because in in the Bible there are these things called types. And I can see a wonderful type here. It's not perfect. But I think it's interesting to notice because in the passage we read in Exodus, the waters of Mara could typify our life before we came to Christ. It was just bitterness. Our life was bitter. Our life was a mess. And then the the tree that Moses cast into the water, that made the water sweet, that is like eternal life that was given to us by the death of Jesus. On what? The tree. On the cross. The wood that Christ died upon. There's nothing special about the wood, but what happened on that piece of wood was something that changed the date that we observe today. Notice that. Well, we don't believe in God. Well, what's the date today? Twenty twenty two. What does that mean? Well, in the Latin, twenty twenty two, anno domine, in the year of our Lord. So, what do you say about that? Are you going to change the date? not because you don't like Jesus. His death and his resurrection and his ascension was so significant that it changed, his, his birth changed the way we relate to dated events in history. And no one has dared to try and go and change it. How important is it? Even the world. But now the scholars, you know, if if you've ever watched uh, anything like on the History Channel or something like that, they always like to take Christ out of the picture now. They'll say, well, it was 450 BCE, and then, you know, the the Jerusalem, when it was destroyed, it was 70 ACE, you know, before the Common Era or after the Common Era. And I'm like, you know, you really need Jesus. Seriously, that's the way they revert to it, because they get Christ out of the picture. But you can't get Christ out of the picture. Neither should we. But this tree that Jesus died on, we know that he carried that, uh, a patibulum. It was a 75 to 125 pound piece of wood that they would uh, strap on him. And that was what he carried to Golgotha. And then they would finally lay him down there. And they would drive those Roman nails through his, his, his wrists right in here. And they would, they would go just on the other side so they didn't hit the, the vein, the, the, the artery. And they would drive them in there. And then his feet. And they would fasten him and they would stick him up on the stipes, which was the tree that was in the ground forming a cross. So Jesus hung on that cross and when the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross and all that he accomplished on it, certainly the forgiveness of sin, the eternal life, the joy, when it's applied to our lives, what does he bring? He brings healing and true joy to us. And it's not dependent on our externals or circumstances. Even Isaiah 53, it says...
0: Surely. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Second Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585